0: Hey, as I was thinking back on my early days of growing up, I was thinking that I am such an unlikely candidate for God's grace in my life. If I look back on my story, uh, I grew up in a, in a pretty small community in Illinois, a farm community of about 1,500 people. Um, I was a skinny runt of a kid, often rejected by my peers. Um, I wasn't athletic, so I got pushed around a lot. Um, The only thing that really set me apart was my musical gifting. So I had several levels of musical gifting, and sometimes that would get some attention, get me accepted a little bit, which became a snare of its own in its own way later. But anyway, uh, so that I felt like a pretty big fish in a small pond of my high school graduating class of public school, 65 people, it's pretty small, yeah, so, um, but then when I went off to college um, and started in the music uh, program there in Indiana, uh, I was very much a a small, tiny fish in a very big ocean of some really gifted and talented people. I have to tell you, at, at that time, I felt hidden, I felt rejected, I felt unseen, during that time. But in the midst of all that, in my first couple years of college, um, right at the edge of campus, there was a Christian bookstore there. And I look around and some people are going, there are Christian bookstores? I didn't even know they existed. Okay, not very many anymore, especially after this week. But um, I went to this Christian bookstore and there was a staffer there named Dave. And he worked in the music section of the Christian bookstore. And I would go over there and look at new and upcoming music and get excited about that. And he was a church pastor that was planning a church nearby our campus. And so we struck up conversations. And Little did I know that Dave would become a mentor and somebody very influential in my life that kind of noticed me, noticed things in me, uh, and encouraged me, invested in me, and kinda set me on a trajectory toward ministry that's blown my mind beyond anything I could have ever imagined uh, that God's allowed ministry-wise in my life. So as I think about that, and I think about our time together today, we're gonna see that Jesus often demonstrates radical love for people that most people honestly would reject. So no matter who you are today, we're all created in the image of God. I would hope that you would want that for yourself and that you would want to be used by God that way, knowing that people are valuable to God. So today's story from Luke, it's going to honestly show us how to do it. So, so but before we get started, I need to ask you guys a question. Are you guys ready for these? Are you ready for these? Are you excited about these? no not so much okay well i just want to tell you you've only got 22 days okay you've only got 22 days before april 15th it's coming you can't avoid it unless you get an extension i guess but anyway um so hopefully you're in that process we had we filed ours this week which feels great got to go through all those uh, receipts and stuff pick out your deductions so maybe as you go through that process maybe you're doing something like this right You're single or you're a couple or family and you're working with somebody that prepares taxes, somebody that's professional that can kind of help you, guide you through that process in the best way. Or maybe you're going, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it myself. And you're going to do it this way, right? You're going to go the online route and say, yeah, see, I hear more people going, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So even though it's usually uh, not a fun process, there are these kind of programs that and people that can help us so that the process is not as stressful when we go through it. Okay, what do you feel when you see this photo? Are you excited about that? You know, you're driving the I-80. You know, some of you see this a couple times a day, driving back and forth to work. You pull up and you're like, yay, I get to shell out some more money to drive on this road, right? (laughs) You're real excited about that. Okay, not really. Okay. Um, well, you know, this is a choice that you make, right? Toll roads, you don't have to drive, right? And all your money that you give on a toll road uh, goes directly to pay for that road is what they're telling us. And so if you, I think that's true, right? So if you drive that road, you have less exits, right? You can get there a little faster. So there's some benefits, but you don't have to choose that, right? That's That's an option, okay? Um, as as you travel. It's not required. But all in all, I think we're all agreeing what I'm hearing from you today. Process is not necessarily fun, but I think we all have a certain degree of confidence that these are being handled justly, right? And so um, let me ask you this. How would you feel if you found out that the tax preparer that you had hired was handling things corruptly? How would you feel about that? And what if um, not only that, um, but other people as well knew he was corrupt, he or she? And let's say you ran into him in the grocery store or at the park or on a basketball court. How would you feel about interacting with them? And nobody will do anything about it. Um, Jesus shows us how to respond to situations like this in a passage that we're going to spend time in today. So I want you to uh, open your Bible, if you have your Bible with you. Let's go to Luke 5. Um, We're going to pick up where we left off last week. uh, Luke 5.27. I want us to look at this story together. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we're glad to give you one for free. We have them in the foyer. You can stop by the info counter and we'll be glad to give you one. If you have your Bible app, you can open that up, or it'll also be on the screens for you as well, and you can follow along there. And while you're pulling that up, I want to kind of give you some context for our story today. Scholars believe that the tax booth that we're going to talk about today uh, was located on what's called the Via Maris. Uh, it's, a, it's a road in between uh, Gezer and Hazor. And you'll see it up there and was often used for merchandising. People would move back and forth on that, on that path that was near the Sea of Galilee. And so a lot of scholars believe that this tax booth was placed somewhere in between those two uh, locations. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Um, So let's look at verse 27. Verse 27 says, And after this he went out, okay? So we probably ought to talk about where he went out from, right? If you were with us last week, Rick Duncan uh, taught on Jesus healing the man that was a paralytic. His four friends brought him on a mat, took him up on a roof, lowered him down. And Jesus not only healed his physical condition, but more importantly, healed his spiritual condition, right? Forgave him of his sin, and uh, restored him. And so when this says, after this, he went out, that's where he went out from, from the home where that he, the miraculous healing of the paralytic man took place, okay? So let's go back to verse 27. And he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Okay, so now we need to ask the question, who is Levi, okay? Well, Levi was the Hebrew name for a man that we know well in the New Testament, writing as Matthew. So Matthew was the Greek name of the Hebrew Levi, who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the first book chronologically in the New Testament. Okay? So, now, although it says Levi in the text, I want you to keep in mind it's more commonly known as Matthew. But that was after, this This situation, this story is before Levi or Matthew's transformation. Okay, but just so you don't get confused, I want to let you know Levi is Matthew and Matthew is Levi. So I'm going to have you repeat it just to make sure you got it. Levi is and Matthew is. Excellent. You guys are so good. All right. Okay, but what we see here, like I mentioned, is prior to his conversion, this could be what a tax collector booth looked like in those days. Um, But Levi was originally a trader who worked as an agent for Rome as a tax collector. Now, the Roman Empire took bids uh, for folks that wanted to collect taxes on their behalf, and they enriched themselves by preying on impoverished people, by stifling trade, and really they practiced what amounted to be a local mafia. In those days, if Rome got their prescribed amount that they were supposed to get for a region, they didn't care if the tax collector collected and kept all the overage for themselves. So there was not a more depraved person in this day than a tax collector. The income, you can imagine, was reliable. It was sizable because of the corruption that they uh, practiced. Uh, Levi traded his reputation uh, for financial security by taking this role. Um, And here's another piece that was amazing is that Hebrew tax collectors of which Levi was one were despised because they collaborated with the foreign power that was Rome that had subjected their own people to bondage. So there was another level of frustration uh, with men like Levi who were collecting taxes. They were wealthy because they were dishonest and the tax booth was a dreaded place for you to walk up on and it caused frustration because of the corruption. They would tax for anything and everything and you never knew what they were going to tax on. And it was always pretty obvious that it wasn't fair, but here's, here's what I could tell you. Here's what tax collectors were known as in this day. They were outcasts, they were unwanted, they were unpopular, they had zero social respect. No one wanted to be around them And get this, they were even barred from the synagogue because they were considered unclean. So let's go to verse 27, the second part of that. And he said to him, now that he is Jesus, he said to him, to Levi, follow me. Now, now we have to assume that in this day, Levi had surely heard about Jesus. He maybe had seen him go past a few times. People gathering... Crowds around him, people following him. He had surely heard about the miracles that Jesus had done. So he was well known in this region. So I would think that Levi was probably waiting for Jesus when he spoke to condemn him. Just like everybody else did. But Jesus simply sees him and he asks him an astounding thing. He says, Levi, follow me. Okay, now this is not just a follow me around the corner. I want to tell you something, okay? This word in the Greek means to accompany. This is a long-term follow. This is like follow always, okay? So Levi's following of Jesus was not just a one-time event, but a continual following of Jesus. And what we see here is an astounding transformation Levi followed Jesus because God changed his heart so that he was compelled to do so. So he was called by God through the voice of Jesus Christ. So can you imagine of all the people for Jesus to call to be his disciple? He calls Levi. The most unlikely. Being a sinner was the only qualification that Levi had to join Jesus' disciples. And this reminds me that Jesus does not call based on our goodness or our moral living or our gifting, but on an understanding of our need and of our sinfulness. So let's go back to verse 28. And leaving everything. Okay, we know that Levi had a lot, right? He had a lot, but it was gained corruptly. So for Jesus who reached out to him, This says he left everything. He gave it up, and he walked away. And leaving, in this context, means to abandon or forsake. And and guess what everything means? Everything, right? All his manner of his means, he gave up to follow Jesus. Now, I just want you to take a second and put yourself in this scene. This could not be what anybody around imagined would happen, okay? Okay? You know, we've got the, and he said to them, I'm sure people around were like, great, he's going to talk to Levi. This is not what they thought was coming. I can't imagine it was. And I can't imagine that Levi thought that's what was coming. Levi had to have heard the follow me and said, what, me, now, where, do you know who I am? Are you sure? And then I can imagine gasps in the crowd like, are you kidding me? This is the guy you're inviting to be one of your disciples? And so verse 28b says, and he rose and followed him. We're watching a miracle here, guys. We're watching a miracle that God does when his gospel calls and transforms a heart. That's what we're seeing. Levi left a temporary, lucrative career and he gained an eternal destiny. Amazing. So verse 29, And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. So what does Levi do? Okay, his heart's been transformed by Christ. Now he invites all his friends over to his house and asks Jesus to come too. Okay? So he used his great means And he used his influence to invite others to meet Jesus. And it says they were reclining at table. Now, what does reclining mean? There's a picture that's going to go up here of what they think reclining means. I have to state two things about this, okay? First of all, it looks extremely uncomfortable. And second of all, it cannot be good for digestion. That's all I'm saying, okay? But this was a low table in the room that was filled with food, and then there would be like these chaise benches that were cushioned, where you could uh, lay with your head toward the table, your feet behind you, and just eat as you had conversation throughout the time of the feast or the banquet, okay? It's basically like pulling your lazy boy up to a buffet. That's what I'm thinking, okay? All right, so, but this is not a fast food type situation, okay? This is an extended time of conversation and interaction. And um, yeah, this is not McDonald's, okay? Um, I can imagine that there was time taken to have discussions. Maybe some of it was talk among Levi's other tax collector friends, like, can you believe how much I got from that guy last week? And man, I really got her last week. And um, I got more money than I could have ever imagined I would get from that family. Those could have been the conversations. But guess what? In the midst of that, they were open to hearing from Jesus. And Jesus was open to spending time with them. So what's so striking here is that Jesus obviously engages with those in the culture. And his mission is to call on the outcast to be healed. And he offers an accepting hand while calling them to turn to God. So if you look at the parallel account of this passage in Mark, Mark chapter two, it says, so Levi threw a party for his friends and after they met him, many followed him. Isn't that incredible? So he throws a party, uses his influence and Christ reaches many and many surrender to Christ in that opportunity. Let's go to verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled At his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So now Jesus is going to speak up on behalf of the disciples. In verses 31 and 32, it says, and Jesus answered them, those who are well, bless you, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, so the Pharisees are really unhappy with Jesus at this point. He's spending time with the unlikely. He's spending time with the undignified. And the Pharisees basically had spiritual cancer. But they thought that they were really healthy. They actually believed that there was no sin in them. But let me tell you this, the tax collectors had no illusions about who they were. They knew that they were terminal sinners in fact, they feared that they were such terrible sinners, they figured that they were probably hopelessly out of God's reach. But Jesus made it clear that it was for people like this that he came to seek out and he was able to save. I love Romans 5, 6, where it says, a Christ died for the ungodly. The heart of the gospel is for sinners. It's why Jesus came. It's not those that are well that need the physician. It's those who are sick. Those who are well, they're not even thinking about their own need. But trust me, those that are sick are for sure. They definitely are. So he's come to call those who understand their need to come to God in repentance. And only those who truly understand their need and their condition will hear the call of Jesus. Well, as I read this this last couple weeks, one of the things that jumped out at me is Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous. Oh, man, what's that about? Jesus said he hadn't come for them, but Jesus said that they were self-righteous. It's because they were self-righteous. Those who prided themselves in their own virtues and their own keeping of the commandments of God and their uprightness and how they observed divine laws so they saw themselves as faultless and completely innocent and having no guilt at all they're those who think hey i've got it together i've got it together on my own jesus said i have not come for them because of how they viewed themselves they don't need me but for sinners it was completely different sinners are devoted to sin not free from it And for them, God offers grace and forgiveness and mercy and compassion. He forgives sin if we humbly come to him. But he won't do anything for people who think they're okay, that think they're healthy or righteous or okay on their own. They'll reject Jesus' message always. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It has nothing as far as I know to say to people who do not know that they've done anything to repent of and who do not feel that they need any forgiveness. So we see in this story all that Jesus calls sinners to follow them, follow him because he loves them. So what can we learn today from this incredible story? I've got three things that I want us to take with us um, and consider today. First of all, we need to reach out, right? Verse 27 says, Jesus saw Levi. Uh, In the Greek, that's theaomai, which means to behold or attentively look at. So Jesus saw him in the tax booth and looked at Levi attentively. So some versions, I love this, says he noticed him, which means to gaze on or look intently at. Okay, now most people of this day, that's not how they're looking at tax collectors, right? They're looking at them with frustration, and they're a disgrace. Probably never even looked into their eyes. They couldn't stand to look at people like that. Because they were full of harshness and greed and deception. But Jesus chooses the unlikely, those that we would not necessarily choose. And he's so intentional here. He fixes his eyes on Levi, and we see that Jesus is also always aware of the people around him and the needs of people around him. Chances are this was a large crowd that was around on, uh, this road. But Jesus saw Levi, and we know that Jesus knew the heart of Levi. Levi obviously knew the conclusion that his own heart was wretched and miserable, filled with sin, and he was distressed by it. Jesus saw the sinfulness of Levi but he saw a hunger in him for righteousness. Jesus' association with sinners is an action he initiates, and he calls unlikely Levi to follow him, and that shows us the wonder of God's grace. What what an amazing condescension to offer a man like this a place in your inner circle of disciples. I was remembering as I looked at this, a time in my touring days where we went and did a concert at one of my favorite places, and that was Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York. And it was one of, it was the first of many visits that we made over the years that I was traveling. And, uh, and so this was in the former church before they built the current church there and now. But Jim and Carol Cimbalo walked our team around and, and showed us uh, the church, and um, we were introduced to several different people. He introduced us to a man that he introduced as Bob. And and let us know that Bob was a man that when they first started the church, they saw him sitting on the front steps of the church. And day after day, they would come in and Bob wrestled with drugs. He was a drug addict. And day after day, they would see Bob. They would greet Bob. Sometimes they would sit down and talk to Bob. But one day, they invited Bob in. And he considered it. it didn't come that day. But later he did, he came in, they'd been praying for Bob. He came into a service and he surrendered his life to Jesus. And when Jim introduced him to us, he said, I want you to meet Bob. He's one of our elders at Brooklyn Tabernacle. How amazing is that? He's unlikely, unlikely, that's who God chooses to show his incredible grace. He chooses the ones that we wouldn't necessarily choose. So I want to ask you today, who is the one that you feel called to reach? So do you see that person in their need where they currently are? The least likely person to come to CBC could be your one. Your tax uh, preparer could be your one. I don't know. Maybe. Okay? Uh, But my question is, where are the levi's in my world where are the levi's in your world where are the levi's in our culture today because i'll tell you this tax preparers are not looked at in our day as tax collectors were in this day probably the comparison would be more like traffickers and addicts and pedophiles so god's been convicting me so much this week as i've studied this passage that I'm so often too focused on ministry and surrounded by believers, and that's part of my call as a pastor here. Yet my eyes are often not open to truly seeing those around me with the eyes of Christ. Romans 5.8 says, But here is how God shows his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This passage doesn't only illustrate Jesus' love for sinners, but guess what? It gives us a very clear picture of how we as believers are supposed to live. Why is it that the longer that we know Christ, the more isolated we become from the people that we're supposed to reach? It's heartbreaking. So first, we've got to reach out. And then what's next? We should hang out. And these days, I told you, meals were very much an extended affair. They took time, lots of great food, lots of great conversation. So in the midst of this party, I'm sure Levi talks about this incredible joy. He's found that Christ has transformed his heart. And so he throws this big banquet. And I'm sure Jesus showed care for Levi's friends. Didn't just preach at them, but showed care for them. His mission was to call the outcast to be healed. With a desire for them to turn to God. And we have to know that isolation from sinners is not our call as disciples of Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that we spend all our time, right, with uh, non believers. I love what Kevin DeYoung writes. He says Jesus was a friend of sinners, not because he winked at sin, ignored sin, or enjoyed lighthearted revelry with those engaged in immorality. Jesus was a friend of sinners, and that he came to save sinners and was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel, sorry for their sins, and on their way to putting their faith in him. So, what about us? What about me? What about you? Are we taking time to get to know unbelievers? Am I really? I mean, our culture moves so fast. Do we spend time with those outside the body of Christ? Because Levi wanted his friends to meet the one who had set him free from hopelessness. So let me ask you this. What furthers the kingdom of God more? Us spending time with those like us? Or meeting the lost and the broken where they live? And sharing the gospel and the forgiveness of sins for all who believe. So what could hanging out look like? Maybe hanging out looks like using uh, this story as a model. Maybe you could have a Matthew party in your house where you invite some other believers to be around and some unbelievers. Maybe several of us pull together our one And it's a social gathering where we invite people in, and it's intentional, and it's relational, and maybe it's built around a holiday or a birthday, but it's creative and innovative, and maybe we play some games, watch a sporting event. But the goal is to have some fun while allowing an unbelieving friend or two to interact with some other believers in Christ. And maybe there's an opportunity to point your guests toward the Lord in that opportunity, like praying before you eat the meal, or um, ask them about their faith background, or their church background, or mention how you see God at work in your own life. And if they want to talk about it, you talk a little bit about it, and if they don't, you don't push too hard. But you provide a maybe a next step for connection. So maybe a Matthew party based on this could be a good thing to do, or Or maybe you think about your one. Maybe the best way to connect with them is at the gym. Or maybe your one is at work. Or maybe you invite them to lunch. Or maybe you're a student and and you spend time with your friend after school. Or maybe you're a parent and your kids participate in sports or in an event. And that's where you interact with your one. Maybe you invite them here to church. Maybe you invite them for Easter weekend. Um... Or maybe you invite them to your life group. Or maybe you invite them to serve with your life group. That could be good. Maybe you give them some resources for study and you answer some questions. But we should desire to hang out with the intention of telling them about Jesus. So the last one, we should call out. Because context alone is not gonna bring them to Christ, right? A cool vibe is not everything. So we, at some point, we need to share the truth of the gospel with them, and we need to help them understand their brokenness and their need for a Savior. Jesus came to call those who understood their need to come to God in repentance. He came to call and to save sinners. He calls the sinners and the lost to follow him. Why? Because he loves them. So, we hear this word repentance. What does it really mean? It means a change of mind. It means a change of direction, especially the change of mind of those who've begun to hate the error of their ways and the ways that they're living. And they've determined they want to go on a better course of life. And it embraces a recognition deeply of their sin and a sorrow for it that brings a wholehearted change of life. John MacArthur writes one of the most defining statements Jesus ever made. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In one sentence, Jesus tells us why there was an incarnation, why he was virgin born, why he lived, why he died, why he rose, why he ascended, why he intercedes. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. He came to save sinners who would repent. So the Christian faith is not for good people. It's for sinners. The church is not for people who think they're righteous. It's for people who know they're not righteous. This is not a club for the righteous. We're a hospital for those who are sick. And there'll never be salvation. There'll never be forgiveness of sin or eternal life for anyone who thinks that they're righteous on their own. Jesus centered his ministry on those who understood their true condition. He spends time with them and earns the title friend of sinners, but he still speaks truth to them about their broken and their lost condition. Matthew 21, 32, this is from John the Baptist's perspective. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. And Luke 12 and 13, tax collectors also came to be baptized and and said to him, being John, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. So I also want to remind you so carefully we need to remember that this is a work, salvation is a work. Understanding of our need, understanding of our sin is a work that's supernaturally done by God's Spirit. If this is you today or somebody you're trying to reach, remember that seeing our need is not something we can produce on our own. It's a supernatural work of Christ to turn a heart to see your own need, just like God did with Levi in an instant. Only God can show someone their true need for a savior. But we have to get to the gospel. God will direct our conversations. He'll show us the best way that we need to share. And here's the beauty, it's not all on us, right? The work of salvation is God's work. We're faithful to share, and the Holy Spirit does the work of drawing the heart. And even if there's not an initial response, We're planting seeds that we can continue to water by prayer and conversation and interaction. So I want to ask you today, will you reach your one? Chad asked us two weeks ago, will we pray about our one? Rick asked us last week, who's your one? I'm asking you today, will you reach your one? We should reach out, to hang out, to call out. Because Jesus calls sinners to follow them, because He loves them. So I want you to take out your worship guide. In that is a tear-off portion. I want to talk about how you're feeling led to respond today. On that card, the first option, maybe as as I've shared today, all of a sudden you've realized that sinner is me, like I'm Levi. I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I need salvation. I see and I understand my sin and my need for Jesus today and I want to surrender my life to him. I would encourage you to do that. You can do that right where you are. Quietly, you could call out to God in your heart. You could say, God, I see my sin and I hate it. And I know that your sacrifice on the cross was enough to pay the penalty for my sin. And I'm believing only in you. Jesus, I turn to you. Thank you for your death and your resurrection that brings me new life. And if you do that today, we want to we hear from you. You can check that off. And we want to help you take some next steps in your new walk with Christ. That would be great. Or maybe today you're going to say... I'll pick up the Who's Your One prayer guide. We're going to have these out at a round table in the foyer. Uh, We just finished 21 days of prayer coming off of our time with Daniel Henderson. And many of you have been a part of that with us. We're going to turn our attention now in the coming 30 days to this guide that has short daily prayers that allows you to plug in the name of your one. So you can find it in our foyer. You can go to whosyourone.com. And use it as a guide for prayer in the coming days, starting tomorrow and continuing through Easter weekend on April 20th and 21st. So you can commit to reaching your one, at least, in the uh, years and, uh, day and year to come. Or maybe you want to be baptized. We have opportunities to be baptized and uh, obediently follow Christ and show your love for Him by baptism. Or maybe you want information on how you can get into closer community by joining a life group. But i encourage you to respond today as God leads you. Let me pray, wrap up our time. Jesus, I thank you so much that you choose the unlikely. Because that unlikely is me, and that unlikely is so many of us. God, you're so gracious and merciful that even when we weren't looking for you, even when we were running the other direction, you pursued us because of your incredible love and your great mercy. God, open our eyes to notice the people around us. Help us to see and understand their need. Lord, that we would reach out, that we would hang out where we can, that we would call out that you would open eyes and they would understand their need for a Savior. So, Lord, don't let us get away from this today. Stir our hearts and show us how you're calling us to respond. For your grace and your glory, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.